Hello and welcome. We are back with this last lesson of the winter encounter. I want to say thank you to Kip for all of his work and all the good discussion that we've had over the last week. Hopefully by now, I'm pretty sure most people have gotten their spring encounters. Uh, so yeah, coming up is uh, Jennifer, Reverend Jennifer Newell. Um, she's going to pick up where we leave off here in John and then uh, and then I write, I think, six lessons in that quarter. So uh, we'll get to those. Uh, looking forward to that. It's coming up on Lent and Easter. Yay! So, yeah, so it's good, uh, busy, and spiritually, hopefully, illuminating time in the church and in your life. Also wanted to say thanks to um, the Sherwood Cumberland Presbyterian Church and the Crossroads Cumberland Presbyterian Church in Arkansas. I spent the weekend there those two churches and so looking forward to good work coming from them and um becky you got to visit a local church too right i did yeah i got to hang out with uh, new hope in paducah this last sunday it was awesome to be able to visit with them for a little while gotcha gotcha and so what we're going to be doing today is lesson 13 it's going to be february 27th and uh again last last lesson so it's john 9 where we discuss jesus being the light of the world uh, and our prayer for illumination today, Almighty God, you are the source of all light. You divinely separated light from darkness so that we may have the beauty of the light of day. Illuminate and enlighten us as we seek to know you through your word. We pray that we receive every word you speak to us today. Amen. And that's from Connect Us Fund. I don't know. I don't even know how I found that website, but they got some good prayers. So if that you're ever looking for something. And then our memory verse. This is John 9, 1 through 17, but our memory verse specifically is from John 9, 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So that's setting us up here. Um, and in our, just to dig right in, let's go with the introduction. I, I do like the, the introduction question. Have you ever been the subject mm -hmm. of a conversation that is less than flattering? If so, how did you feel? If not, have you been in the midst of someone, in the midst of one about someone else? and they overheard. How did or would you feel about that? Becky, have you ever been the subject of a conversation that's been less than flattering? Let's say yes. <laughs> Let's just say that. You know, I think as, as a parent, I was, I was reading through this introduction and I thought, oh gosh, but I think as a parent, when our children are small, that is something we tend to do with our significant other, like my husband and I, I am certain I have probably said things about my children like this. When they're like, small, know, when they're bigger, when they're younger, you know, when they're older. Yeah. You know, but probably in front of them, having this conversation about them and in front of them. I know, I know, I remember my parents having those conversations about me. Like, I don't know. I don't know if we can trust you to go do whatever, you know, how does it make you feel? Of course, it makes you feel like. I don't know, insignificant, like you're not even in the room, like why you're talking about me this way. But then I've also been in the next question. I've had conversations, especially as a manager in a secular job somewhere. Or as or a like, preacher when you're talking. Yeah, I get you. You know, I mean, we have those conversations about somebody. Um, you know, what should we do about this situation or circumstance or that's just, it's hard because you're, you're making, I think as a manager, especially most of the places that I managed, I was like an assistant manager, an assistant operations manager. Um, 
and you're making decisions that you know are going to affect somebody else's life and livelihood. And these are difficult conversations to have. So how did it make me feel terrible? It made me feel terrible. Um, you know, those are hard, hard conversations to have about somebody else. Yeah. Um, how about you? (laughs) Excuse me. Or choke on that one. Yeah. Yeah. So before we uh, started recording this, I was telling you that you're in a Mm -hmm. position now, like at a local church, for the most part, everybody loves you. They know your heart. They know your mind. They know what you're trying to do. Right. And I say you plural. I mean, like most, most times, unless something gets kind of rocky for the most part, your church loves you. Uh, Once you get to a position where you're now responsible for things that might be denominational wide. So like for me, I went from preaching where everybody loved my preaching to teaching where everybody loved my teaching. And and then I write some lessons in the encounter or I change some stuff in the encounter. People don't know my heart. They don't know, you know, they don't know the way I think or the way I write. And so I've been exposed to some less than flattering conversations. Um, But I've learned in some sense, I finally got to a place in my life to where I do the best I can. And I know that if people wanted to, they could learn um, from whatever I wrote, right? Like it might not be the best. I mean, obviously I'm not Chuck Swindoll. I'm not uh, David Jeremiah. I'm not, you know, because there's only a few of those people that are that good that, that are. And so, but I've come to the point in life to where even when I'm the subject of unflattering talk, I know that there's people who are flattering to me and I know I've sure. done my job. So I've, I've gotten to the point to where like people can, I don't, I don't care as much and it's not in a flippant way. It's just for, for one person who doesn't appreciate it, somebody else does. Mm-hmm. And ultimately I've learned to say, but my master, if you will, or my, my purpose is to serve God and, and I'll do it how yes. I can. And then, and then along the way, if there's an unflattering conversation, I'll either call up Eleanor and I'll be like, well, here's what I said, or, or I'll call yeah. a friend and, you know, and, and people can help me, you know, what I think my parents process me, through that. Yeah. Like what could take away the criticism that's valid and then, you know, ignore the criticism that's not valid. Sure. Um, and and I think I, that's important yeah. in any, any position that we have in life. Yeah, especially um, or a Sunday school teacher and preacher. I mean, you're yeah. going to get criticisms, but most of the time they love you. Yeah. It's just they're yeah. criticizing you. Yeah. Right. Because you're never, you know, I think for somebody like myself, who's definitely a people pleaser, that was a really tough life lesson to learn growing up is that you're, you're never going to make a hundred percent of the people a hundred percent happy all the time. It's just yeah, not, she's it's for just not 60%. Okay. Hey, that's, that's, you know, that's, a, that's m- more than 50. So yeah, right. That's about still the, the majority. <laughs> and <laughs> then so good Cumberland Presbyterian, you're still yeah, in the majority. <laughs> right. Um, and then have you been in the midst of one uh, conversation about someone else and they've overheard it? <clears throat> yeah. I think we've all done that. Like, and we do have to, I guess when people come to criticize you, hopefully they're doing it with grace and I think as a preacher love, yeah. and as a Sunday school teacher, um, that's probably happened before. Um, sure. But I mean, like if, if you have an attitude of love toward that person, uh, even the things that you say and they overhear shouldn't be too, for lack of a better term, too damning to you or them. 
Like, because right. you, you deeply love it. I mean, like you have to love people to be a preacher and survive. Um, even, even your thorns in the flesh. Um, like when Jesus criticized the Pharisees and he weeped over Jer- Jerusalem, uh, I think he wept because he loved them, but they weren't getting it. It wasn't because just because they were trying to kill him, but he deeply loved the Pharisees. And so when he criticized or whatnot, and they heard, oh, he's Jesus, he's allowed to, but I think love is still a really important thing in those. Absolutely. Interpersonal relationships. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about when you're as, as a parent, when you're talking about your children in front of your children, it's not that you're doing it out of disrespect. I don't think. No. Hopefully you're not. Sometimes, you maybe. know, pushy. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> but that you're coming to them from a place of love, really trying to understand your children's personality and whether this is the best option for them or not. Yeah. Yeah. The way I do that normally is like, I'll, if, if I know the kid, I'll, I'll just say that one. Usually it's that one. It's, it's when I'm really frustrated and I'm talking about them. I'll just, mm-hmm. I'll acknowledge your existence. That one over there. <laughs> that um, one has made me mad today. <laughs> So then the reason as to why uh, Kip asked these questions is because it's kind of what we get. We have this, you can tell right from the get-go, love is absent, actually, from the Pharisees' conversation. They're basically saying that one. Like, Mm -hmm. they're trying to pin something on Jesus. They're trying to, they're just frustrated. And so, like, they use this person, which should be, like, if you had love in your heart, this person who had never been able to see all of a sudden can see, that should be a source of joy and celebration and then the secondary thing might be how who what when where how why but first should be like wow this person can see again exuberance yeah about this person and their transformation that they've gone through and so he's he's here right the blonde person which most people a lot of people would say is bartimaeus if you borrow from other gospels but um they're having this whole theological conversation about this person or that per, you know, this person, this blind person is the start of it. And again, nobody's like, praise God, this guy can see. It's all about trying to just get facts. And so, um, yeah. and I've seen that in churches, like I said, with preachers and elders and so on and so forth. And the check to it is, is let's start with love. Yes. So beautiful. Start with love. Start with love. Anything else on that one there? Reverend. I don't think so. I think that was a really good introduction into the scripture for today. Really good thought process. So then exploring the historical and the contextual setting in this particular part, uh, we do have to, well, Kip brings up what exactly the pool of Siloam is. You can find more about that in the Old Testament with King Hezekiah. It did have a particular need to be built. Uh, it was kind of an anticipation of, of being under siege by the Assyrians. Yes. And so, Correct. but so, but then it carries on and it was used for ceremonial washings and cleansings and, and all this good stuff. And over time, you know, certain landmarks take upon certain characters. So if you're a teacher, you might want to park there and uh, talk about that in the uh, newsletter that I've sent. There's a, there's just a little brief history of, of that, that you can check out. Um, but then we get into this more contextual part of it. And this is where uh, Kip first, this is going to be a theme throughout the lesson. Uh, about the middle of page 89, it says, maybe more important than location, maybe the theological ideologies of the time. Notice that the story begins with the question, who sinned, this man or his parents? The blind man was considered a victim of sin by the disciples. Um, and so Kip kind of goes in and, and talks a little bit about that. 
uh, talking about, you know, the theology of the book of Job or so on. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll touch on that later. Uh, but then uh, Kip also goes down toward the second to bottom paragraph. The idea that Jesus would use saliva and dirt probably feels foreign and a little disgusting to us. But in yeah. fact, most, uh, you know, back then it was pretty good. But also, sure. Becky, saliva can heal your own body. Like, right? Like, it's the most Gross. amazing thing ever. It is. but it, like, it really, I mean, it really is. It really is amazing when you look at all the different cultures that use saliva as, as healing properties. You think about how quickly, if you have damage to the inside of your mouth, how quickly the inside of your mouth can heal. And it's um, because of the... When you burn your mouth eating a real yeah. big... Yeah piping hot slice of pizza and how quickly that heals as compared okay. to where if like you're if you get oil you know hot oil on your skin it does and, and mm-hmm. yeah um i think there uh terry mitchell she writes the leader god things to these i think a year or so ago i think there was something about that and she kind of gave saliva. yeah so anyway if you still have okay, your leader god from years ago but to our western yeah. thinking where we have the Western medicine, this is disgusting, (laughs) you know, but to, to this culture in this time period, uh, what an amazing thing to happen, you know, that Jesus used the healing properties properties. of his saliva, the physical properties of his saliva to heal the blind man. I mean, how cool is that? Although to Western minds, gross, (laughs) right? So then we move along and I'm going to bring up this discussion questions here on page 90, because I think that helps frame our discussion um, and our, our thoughts. So, but the way it goes is he's, he's healed. And then the Pharisees, this starts just this big conversation and they're figuring out what Jesus has done. Um, And I'm going to read actually on page 90 uh, last second to last sentence says Pharisees challenged him, the blind man. Uh, and the former beggar finds his voice and in turn challenges the Pharisees. Displeased mm-hmm. with this audacity, they ultimately throw him out. But anyway, I like that thought of where you find your voice. And I think yeah. that's good because like there's, we talked maybe last week about like our convictions and our, you know, what we know of Jesus and all that. And, and there comes a time to where you reach a certain level of maturity to where you find your voice right? Yeah, like sure. you've, you've examined things or you've experienced things or whatnot. And, 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 you know, certain things and you're convicted of certain things. And this, you know, this blind man, I think ultimately just says, I don't know what you think this person is or what somebody else says. I just know that sure. I was blind. Now I see, and, now I see. and it was him. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not gonna, you know, you, you do whatever you want to with that information. Yeah. But so one of the questions, why do they not recognize this blind man after he's healed? Is it because his identity was limited to his blindness? That's a cool question. Could Uh they see nothing in him, but the fact that he was different, also a cool question. And then had they never looked him in the face, did they just walk by heads down, never making eye contact? Three really good questions because it does call into how we do ministry. Um, So I'm going to let you hit on those questions because I think. uh, Sure. We can probably get to something pretty good here. I, you know, thinking about my own personal life, when I walk into 
let's just say a doctor's office. And I see the receptionist sitting behind the counter. And this is the only place I see this person is sitting behind the counter at the doctor's office. So when I run into them at the grocery store or Walmart or whatever, I don't initially recognize them because they're out of context. They're, they're not in the place that in my mind they are supposed to be, you know, it's kind of like, I, I remember talking to a, a teacher one time and she ran into one of her kindergarten students into the grocery store and they were just shocked that they came to the grocery store because they thought yeah. you lived at the school, right. <laughs> you know, this is where, this is where yeah. you were, you know, I mean, the concept that you have a life outside of this place is very foreign to them. So that's, that's one thing I would think of. The other thing is if this is a blind man that is begging, and this is the only place that you ever see them as a Pharisee who obviously they had a problem with love in their heart, but as they're walking down the street, did they ever really actually look at this blind man? Or was this just somebody that was always there in the same place begging and just was in the periphery? you know, as they're walking past. So maybe they hadn't never looked him in the face. I never looked at him. Yeah. Maybe they just, this is just somebody that they knew was there that was crying out, begging for money, food, whatever. And just, and just kept on walking by. I don't know if his identity necessarily was limited to his blindness, but that was his context because he was born blind. There was no further expectation that that was going to change, that that was ever going to be any different than this man is blind. So that, that all, I think for me kind of pulls into why they couldn't recognize him. He was out of place. He had vision. Um, he was probably excited, (laughs) you know, for himself, if nobody else was excited about what God has done, he was probably excited about what God had done in his life. Um, so all of that would add into, I think the confusion of, who, who is this person? Is this really the person that was sitting there? Because this doesn't look like, act like the same person that I have in my, in my mind that was always there in my periphery. So that's kind of where I'm at with that. So like, I I like the question, uh, that very first one, did they not recognize, or is it because his identity was limited to his blindness? Like this shows that the Pharisees also believe that there's, there's no hope of transformation. Yeah. And I th- no hope of change. While you were talking about it, I was thinking actually of the story of Joseph and his brothers. His brothers could not recognize Joseph. And maybe sure. it's because they thought, well, we threw him in a pit. Then we sold him to slavery. And there was no so possibility that he dead. could ever rise up to that point. Right. Sure. And so I think that's a thing. Like sometimes I don't want to admit this often and it doesn't happen often, but there's been people that I'm in preaching you know, like extended counseling sessions are repetitive. And I, and I am tempted to say, I ain't getting no better than this. <laughs> like the, and in some sure. sense, I discount the, the glory of God or the power of God in the life. And so like, I can't say I've ever experienced somebody leaving my office where I thought, this is it, it has risen uh, to a level which I don't recognize them anymore. But I think there's a tendency to do so because of someone's station or their attitude we just assume they're going to be terrible for the rest of their life and and never rise up uh so that's that um uh yeah and then i think that last question is had they never looked the beggar in the face and gosh that's easy to do um just ignore people 
mm-hmm. even though you might pass them a hundred times, just you ignore them just because you're busy, just because your heart's not where your eyes aren't seeing what God's seeing. And then all of a sudden you're confronted with something and you're like, wow, I've just ignored this person. And preachers do it. Sunday school teachers do it. Church members do it. They just tell themselves, well, this person's not part of my clique or they're not, I don't want to deal with this or whatever. And then all of a sudden God does something amazing. Hmm. Yeah. That's I mean, that. Hmm. While you were thinking, while you were saying that, I was thinking about why we have such a problem with like recovery and addicts. Um, why we had such a hard time believing that they've actually recovered. Yeah. And it's because yeah. in our mind, you've always been a drug addict as long as we've known you. And this is the life that you lived, or you've always been an alcoholic and this is the life you've lived. And so when there's that transformation that takes place, I think that's why it's hard for us to accept it because in our mind, this is who you are. Yeah. Yeah. So Sunday school teachers think about this. I mean, like this brought this to me. I mean, like God's grace is greater than our sin and God's grace is actually greater than we could ask or imagine or whatnot, because it is amazing. People do change. Yeah. And it's hard for us to, maybe it's Except hard for the us change. to yeah, it's hard for us change. To think that God can do that. Yeah. It's difficult. Mm. Um, and then he brought up another thing because also in the ministry, if you're a Sunday school teacher, or if you're a preacher or whatnot, you'll come across people who, who have, you know, Kip says differently abled people or whatnot, but you'll have people that you'll have problems talking with, or how do you act when someone's blind around you? And uh, I've come to this, maybe this will help somebody else, but if I know that there's somebody who's blind or if there's someone who's deaf, or if there's someone that has some obvious issues, I will usually now just say, I'm having trouble understanding you, but I want to. And, you know, if it's, or, or if it's, especially if it's somebody who's blind, I'd be like, what can I do to make this as easy as possible for you and good for me? And just ask and not assume, uh, because there's been too many times where I've seen people go over and above and beyond to try to help someone. And that someone's like, I can do this myself, <laughs> you know, and then just somewhat just say, what can I do to make this comfortable for you? And, you know, and what can I do, you know? You know. Yeah. Asking is a good start. A lot of times. Asking is a great start. Right. Good conversation beginner. Yeah. Um, mm. um, so anything in that question so far is that, I mean, we've, we've hit on what's in the, in what Kip has brought up. Um, yes. I think the only thing maybe just also the context is the Pharisees are bringing in people basically for the purpose of trying to get Jesus in trouble. Again, yes. They have lack Again. of heart, lack of love that they're not happy. <laughs> For some reason, they can't find any reason to rejoice in this story, but they do need to pin right. on Jesus. They're not happy that this person had a life transformation. All right. So that gives us to the digging deeper section, comparing scripture with scripture. Um, again, so there's a little talk about this to where like this, I, you know, I'm the light of the world. It happens in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's different accounts. It might be the same person, might not be. It might be blind Martibus, Bar- blind Bartimus. It might not be. Bart- um, Bartimaeus or Bartimaeus? Bartimaeus. I, I'm from the Bartimaeus. South. Okay. I, I claim that. So like when it comes to pronouncing hard. words, I just, I say it with authority. And then if some joker says, is this how you pronounce it? I'm just, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. It's That's the all right. Yankee coming out in me. I apologize. <laughs> we do what we can. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, 
one of the things that Kip brings up is a lot of times in these here in these really, really important healing stories, there's a caveat like from birth, right? You'll hear this from birth or for, and, and I think one of the reasons why he does that is to say that this isn't just, this wasn't a man-made happening. So like when Christ heals them, it's not just a man-made medicine. I mean, these people were lame from birth, blind yeah. from birth, right. from birth. And so to make sure that nobody's been able to help them. So if they do get healed, it's something that humans couldn't do. It's a super, it's a supernatural healing. Right. Um, now in this, in the book of John, then too, Jesus approaches the blind man. Right. And, and in the bottom of page 90, Kip writes, he is likely shocked when Jesus comes to him and then proceeds to place the mud on his eyes and tells him to go wash it off. Um, why do you think Kip would bring that up? Why do you think that's important? I think, mm. it's, I mean, you know, because I think we see so many times in scripture, we see the person coming to Jesus for healing. And so John, in this story, this is an unprovoked, unasked for unexpected. This is Jesus initiating that conversation. This is Jesus bringing this healing to him. And it's through the questions of the disciples that he's like, look, this guy, it wasn't him that sinned. It wasn't his parents that sinned, but this was because he was blind because we're going to bring glory to God. And let me show you how we're going to do that. You know? So I think it was this uninitiated, unexpected healing. It wasn't something that they anticipated. Maybe, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if we're reading too much into it, but like from that last question from the last section where we think, did the Pharisees even see the blind man? And and I would put it like when we're going by and you have the the homeless folks or maybe not mm. homeless, whatever, but the people yeah. who are asking for money, it's easy for us just to go. And then so, all of a sudden you have this. Don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. And now you have the savior of the world. You have God incarnate that not only illustrates how the pharisees didn't see this person couldn't even recognize this person to the right the messiah says i'm going to this person right um and so maybe there's a contrast there and maybe it's something that we we take note of uh as well um and then maybe we haven't got into it but you brought it up a little bit where um mm -hmm. disciples asked jesus was it this man's fault or his parents fault um maybe uh what what's happening here is that, you know, the Pharisees, the Jewish folks of the time had this, well, can I get near this person since it's probably a sinner? Or, you know, like the Pharisees say about Jesus, he, oh. he hangs with tax collectors and sinners. And sure. so maybe Jesus in another time, this is another place where Jesus says, I'm going to this person that y'all might consider dirty, y'all might consider unclean. Unclean, yeah. But God can even do great things through them, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so... Mm -hmm. That's uh, so Kip asked a question on page 91. One of the discussions has there been have there been faith concepts that you held to which later in your life have been challenged or changed? And I think that is maybe what Jesus is trying to do. They said, Well, this obviously was a sinful person, sure. Um, and Jesus says, eh, Maybe, but <laughs> uh, God's glorified and and I care about that person, yeah. So that's Absolutely. a challenge for them. And but it's just a challenge for us. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say, what's what's something, well, you've said before, 
Yeah. Um, that like, you know, your understanding of women in leadership was one. Yeah. Um, that was, that was a huge challenge for me. That was something that took me a long time to overcome and process through. The one for me, I mean, like, I, and I still struggle with theological things. Like I said, I've gone from Arminian to Calvinism to some <sighs> middle of the road, back to this, back to yeah. that, or, you know, just, or, you know, social things. Um, when you think deeply about uh, you, you social stances as opposed to like church stances or um, different theologies. Because yes. I think if you're growing with Christ, if you're continuing your conversation with him and asking him to reveal things in your life, I think you're going to see things different. You should. <laughs> you should see things different as we, as we develop and change and grow. Um, and that's, that's part of the maturation process is because Jesus is challenging us when we're able to accept it and handle it, when we're able to process through it and see it, you know, if, if I had been introduced to the Cumberland Presbyterian church earlier in my life and women in leadership, I wouldn't have been able to handle it because mm-hmm. I wasn't at a place where, I could really speak directly to God. I was in a place where I was comfortable speaking to God and asking him to show me things through scripture. But at that point I was, and so I was open and and ready to hear what he had to say. So there's a journey aspect. Absolutely. And, And that's part of, you know, I think that was part of the Pharisees problem, honestly, is that they weren't necessarily on a journey they felt that they had all the right answers and nobody could question that um and nobody could come against them so they were very just so dead set in their own personal line of thinking that they weren't willing to hear there's a humility aspect to it yeah sure and i'm i don't feel like we might be rushing through things but i think we can the learning from the scripture section. The reason why I'm going to go to that is because what you just said in this reflection question on page 93, which comes, you know, after the, the learning from the, but anyway, let me read yeah. the on 93. Sometimes like the disciples, the neighbors, and even the Pharisees, we get it wrong. In a crazy turn of events, the blind man sees and everyone else is blind. How often do we, we remain blind to the truth because we are unwilling or unable to consider that we might be wrong. Are we so confident we know all there is to know about Jesus? Are we sure we've got it all right? So I think that's exactly what you were just talking about. Um, yeah. So in this learning from the scripture section, Kip, you know, brings up the rabbi, they ask, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Um, so even, so you have, you have the disciples that are searching. You have the Pharisees that are searching. You have the blind man that obviously is trying to figure everything out too in this sure. setting. So maybe I mean, it's a new world for him. It, and, and I think in, like Christ is bringing in light, shedding light and darkness in these three different places. And so when yeah. in your Sunday school class, you could probably think what, where's, what is the light exposing of the Pharisees? What is the light exposing of the disciples? What is the light exposed in the heart of the blind person? Right. So there's mm-hmm. three things you mm-hmm. Think about there, but um, what do you get from using that reflection question? I guess is a what what do you get out of the the section here? 
that sometimes we put too much authority in our own words <laughs> and, and think too highly of ourselves, you know, and, and I think you hit that nail in the head that humility is key. Um, that is something that the Pharisees lacked, which I think in our previous lessons, that's what Nicodemus was showing yes. um, through John is that he wasn't so set that he was absolutely right, that he was unwilling to come to Christ for answers. His humility was displayed in his first meeting with Jesus when he said he had some questions and he was, it was trying to understand who Jesus was better, Yeah, which I think the, the majority of the Pharisees through the reading, they weren't displaying that they were just, they were so sad that they're right. And I think sometimes we get into that mindset ourselves that, well, I've, I've, Really? I've been studying scripture for 30 years, you know, of course I'm right. Well, yeah. are you though? Are you, <laughs> are, you know, do you, do you have the are mind you of God, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and I think that we always have to come and approach scripture with, uh, with a level of humility to understand that maybe we are wrong. I think we absolutely have to. Yeah, for sure. So I think that was so with the Pharisees, you know, basically they have been recognized as quote unquote, the authority. Yeah. Especially when you get them all together. Um, yes. They are the authoritative body. <laughs> right. It's kind of like, you know, if you were trying to ask people at Presbytery, what's going on, Lord forbid, we all had the authority to interpret scripture. And anyway, hmm. um, right. but even within those groups that it shows that they were, they were less concerned about the interpretation and knowledge of scripture as they were concerned about getting rid of Jesus. Yeah. And that's kind of scary. Their sole um, focus was that. So let me ask though, like it is yeah. a common question, uh, like Kip brings out. It's a common question for us to say, well, who sinned when something bad happens? And then you have people who still believe that, you know, bad things are punishments for things like the book of job sure. there's a 45 chapters of trying to explore that kip brings up two different illustrations of how religious people can sometimes interpret um interpret these things but so like i'm honorary i guess you know and we know and, and we say why do bad things happen to good people sure. again i've said this probably on this podcast before like, I know why bad things happen to people. I can see it all the time. Why do good things ever happen to anybody? That's what I would ask. I mean, like, none of us deserve a single good thing. So, like, what's more miraculous is that something good happens. But so I asked that. So what do you think? I mean, like, can we can we say with complete confidence, uh, like Kip says here, we must be clear, God did not cause the man's blindness so that God could show off Maybe. I mean, like, Maybe. cause, it happened, whatever. Yeah. I mean, like, so the Calvinist in me would be like, well, nothing escapes God's providence in some sure. way. And, um, That's true. So I don't know. What mm. do you think? I think by, mm. I don't know. What do you think? Like, Well, I think it's a good discussion, you know, especially if you're a Sunday school teacher, to understand that ancient cultures definitely believe that if something bad was happening to you, it's because you you did something wrong and, and you deserve punishment of some kind. 
in our Western thinking, oh, this is when we come to um, the advancement of scientific knowledge. That I think I've always been plagued by that question because I, I'm with you. There are, why do bad things happen? Oh, a lot of bad things happen because of consequences of the choices that we've made, you know, um, whether it's bad eating or smoking or eating nothing but sugar, you know, and then all of a sudden you're diagnosed with diabetes or lung cancer from smoking for 50 years or whatever. Those are consequences of bad choices and bad decisions that were made. But does that always mean that it's a consequence of a bad choice. You know, I've known children who have type one diabetes and, and it's because it's a genetic thing. So that's, that's tough. So that's a tough question. Yeah. So while you're talking, does it have to be an either or, I mean, cause there's been times in my life that I am a hundred percent. So, you know, growing up as a kid, I'm glad you're sitting down because I don't want to, I wasn't perfect. (gasps) Right. And so there were times (laughs) I got in trouble and I got disciplined. Right. And I knew exactly why I got disciplined. (laughs) Sure. And I probably needed more of it. (laughs) But then there were bad things that happened to me because I think it was just bad, bad happenings. Like, right. Just bad stuff happened. Sure. So, so maybe instead of having this clear cut either or like maybe maybe there are times when god does discipline you like the book of hebrews like a good child god disciplines his children sure and so maybe part of spiritual maturity then is to in some way be able to see the the differences in that you know that's that's a great thought because something that I have struggled with in the last couple of years, and I have come to a clearer understanding of through my maturation and learning process. And here's an example. So when something bad happened to me in the past, okay, why God, why God, why God, why God me, right? It was always, I don't understand why you're doing this to me. But now I've come to a place where when I'm walking through that valley, it's not why God, it's okay, what lesson am I supposed to be learning from this? What am I supposed to be understanding and taking from this? And that mind shift took me a lot of years and a lot of wilderness (laughs) journey to get through. But now when I can look at it as, what am I supposed to be learning? It totally changes how I see the trials and tribulations I'm going through. It's, it's no longer a punishment per se. It's a, it's a learning tool. Yeah. Everything. So then you're saying, and maybe through maturation, you learn to glorify God in a way that you certainly wouldn't before. So Yeah. Cause um, I think before I would have questioned God, like, I don't understand why. And there are still things that I don't understand why, like, I don't, I don't understand why children die of horrible diseases. I, I don't get that. Um, I don't understand why, um, you know, some people are suffer from sexual assault, um, other than other people are making really bad choices at that moment. 
but why does that mean that somebody else has to suffer? You know, um, I, I don't have answers to all of that. No, I guess some of us, it would be a theology of creation and fall. Like, sure. So something happened at the fall, some mm-hmm. theological principle that things weren't right after, after, you know, and Adam's fall sin, we all kind of thing. Um, right. But then the other thing would be also like, we've talked about a little bit. I mean, like if we're creatures and we're terrible and we've sinned, what's the punishment on this earth or whatever? And so um, the severity of something when it's, when it happens to you probably feels more than if it happens to somebody else, maybe that's something, but sure. Well, that's also, true because you're taking it more personal. So then also we have the promise from Christ. You brought this up while we were kind of chit-chatting before you have this promise that if you're going to become a Christian, the promises are persecution. The promises are trouble. Ultimately Suffering. you're agreeing to pick up a cross. There's yeah. nothing good that happens on yeah. a cross with a cross. Mm-mm. So I guess, so I guess in some sense you could say a part of the fruit is that you are experiencing some suffering because sure. if you're faithful, Christ promises trouble. And yes. that leads me back to what you were saying. What, what are we learning from things too? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe that teaches us humility too. It should. <laughs> I mean, really, it should. Because you come to that, I think you come to that understanding that you don't have all the answers. And yeah. you're never going to have all the answers. And you have to be okay with that. Yeah. That you just have to, it comes to, a, I think you come to a point of humility, but also of trust of no matter what's going on of trusting God and his divine wisdom that however this is going to play out whatever that looks like that God is still good that God still deserves the glory yeah that's kind of a tough one yeah Um, that was a deep question Dear Sunday school teachers, if you and your Sunday school class get together and y'all figure out this, call me. We'll have you on <laughs> and we yes. will put this whole theolo- theological conundrum to rest for the rest of all time. Please That's do. Right. But I do think it is something that it probably is good for us to think about. Like, um, it's a hard question. And I like Becky, I, I think I like where you got us to where what, what do we learn from it? And then also, cause I, and I'll say this one, last, so like, I don't think you can just completely all of a sudden when something bad happens, he write it off as just dumb luck. It might be God yeah. trying to speak to you. I mean, if it, there's like too many examples in the old Testament of natural, natural things that happen that were a way of, of God getting someone's attention. Yes. And I guess if your theology leads you to say that these are just stories or metaphors, fine, maybe, but they could still be theological or, you know, metaphors for today. Like I, I just think there's a sense in which we, we seek God's will and understanding because, you know, a lot of times what my dad says, nothing, nothing good happens after three, three in the morning or two in the morning. I forgot what he said. Mm -hmm. If I'm outside doing something stupid, 
and something stupid happens to me at two in the morning, I probably shouldn't have been there. Should have been tucked up in bed with my wife. Right. Like, right. And so in some sense, maybe if something bad happens, that is a warning to say, wait, reprioritize, do something else different, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. I don't know. So I don't know. Are you okay with where we're going to leave that if we leave it here? Yeah. Okay. I think so. That's, that's a deep, you know, if you're teaching class this Sunday, man, that is a deep question that you can really spend a lot of time on. Really good. A lot of time on. So then that's going to bring us to our applying the scripture section. Um, and I'll just read that first paragraph or that first sentence. There seem to be a couple of theological issues that arise with this story. One is the dichotomy of living in darkness and living in light. And I think that might be really the thrust of of the thing like i said you have the blind man who can't see physically at the yep. end of the story he sees spiritually and physically right the so pharisees, he is literally in the dark that right. is brought into the light okay then you have the pharisees that can't see spiritually but can see physically right, right. and then at the end of the story they're even more blind than they were before yeah and then we don't really get all the story from the disciples, but the disciples then have to, you know, get something out of this to where. Sure. Oh, gosh. Can you imagine processing through that with, with Jesus right there? Right. You so know, if this I is mean, the thing in, in the Mark story, I don't, whether this is the exact same event or not, but in the Mark story, what happens is Jesus puts the mud on on the eyes and they wash it off and he sees blurry images and then they do it again. And then he sees clearly. And so maybe for the disciples, this is also a, uh, if we bring in the Mark passage, I'm not saying that you should, I'm not going to get called down by my theological snobs or expository <laughs> snobs, but in the Mark passage, there was this gradual scene. And right. I wonder if that's representative of what the disciples get from this. Like, you know, maybe you don't get instant sight. Maybe it's a journey. Right? Sure. Sure. I like, mm. uh, so the reflection question, because again, I'm a great teacher. I'm a terrible editor. So on page 93, um, the reflection question didn't get bolded. So I want to make sure we highlight that and people can sure. see where it's at. But so it says, have there been moments in your faith journey that you were so sure of something and then someone offered another idea and it caused you to struggle? Have you had a moment when you were blind and someone injured your life and changed it forever? So I think yeah. this is what we're getting towards. So Becky, yeah, we might've talked about, but there's anything particular that uh, someone challenged your. A, a lot of things, uh, you know, obviously women in ministry is my, my big one, but just, I think for me, my journey as a pastor, um, something that had really challenged me is trying to see gifts in people um, because I'm someone who, who you can just kind of throw something at me and I'm pretty good with it. And I just run it and figure it out. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of people in this life that, that can't. So instead of writing people off and saying, oh, well, they're just not going to be able to do whatever, giving them an opportunity and a chance to show me what they can do. Because sometimes we have preconceived notions about what people are capable of or not capable of. And, and if not given an opportunity, 
um, you know, the Pharisees had wrote off the blind man. He was just there. He was going to be a blind man forever. And he was going to sit there and beg. And, and that was all he was going to do. And so the Pharisees weren't even willing to give him an opportunity to show him what he was capable of doing now that he had been given the gift of sight. Um, you know, and I think if we bring in that Mark story, that's another great thought process for the disciples because they, man, the challenges that they had to go through and really understanding who Jesus was and how, um, he was the Messiah and the things that they had to think through because of the things that they had been taught or not taught and what they understood the Messiah to be. And sometimes, sometimes we're challenged with those things too. So I think that's a, that's a great, um, there's just a lot of things I think in ministry that I had been challenged with, with people that I didn't think were capable and I had to give them a chance to show me that they were. For me, it's theological. It's always theological. Like Bible colleges, good Bible college is a good place to be challenged on your thoughts. Sure. Also it's changed my, the, like, cause probably when I was younger, I was more liberal than I am now. Like I had a, I had a, um, I would say a liberal bent in scripture readings. And, and then I had an elder who was much smarter than I was, who was not at all. And so things that I took for granted, he would just by one sentence challenge me on something. And I'm like, oh, well, I need to dig a little deeper into that one. And so there, I've learned that there's all kinds of things that we just take, depending on just where we grew up or what right. educational institution or whatnot. But I just remember this dude did this multiple times when I would go off on this theological thing. And he would just one question or one, one, like, well, have you ever thought of this? And I've been like, wow, I was an idiot. I am completely blind. This made so much sense. But one single question from this dude living in Paducah, Kentucky. Right. Just then made me stop and think, okay, well, maybe I'm not as knowledgeable on these things as, as you, as you thought you were. As I th- yeah. And so, but what that did was just lead me to a, you know, a lot of ways, just deep study of things either A, yeah. to prove somebody wrong, or B, to prove me right. And I, and I say that in humility, because I want to know what's right. Or at least yeah. I want to get to a point to where I am I am confident. And then I'm, I've still been able to, you know, when somebody puts in new information, then I go back and keep studying. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we have to do uh, when it comes yes. to some of those things. Yeah, I think, you know, that's something that we have forgotten um, as I have preached to my churches before, um, reading the Bible is not a one and done. This is a lifelong, never ending process. Never ending. Yeah. On page 94, I think before we end, there's one, um, Kip brings up a story about, you know, a cat dying. And then these kids want to know why a cat dies. And so they go to the they go to the theological expert and the theological expert gives a theological reasoning behind it. And then of course the kids are like, this is not satisfying. Right. But while children are children, they can see the truth in a lot of things that adults can't. Right. There's going to be things that where we just don't know though. Like we don't know. There's one thing though, I would like to get your opinion on. So third paragraph on page 94, Mm -hmm. um, kid brings up, you know, and I've heard this and, you know, if you're at a funeral or if you're at a tragedy, you'll hear someone say, well, God doesn't send us more than we can handle. 
And then Kip says, never repeat this. This statement suggests that God intentionally sends us hardships and tragedy. I, so I get that, but at the same time, it happened. Like, right? Yeah. So you get a cancer diagnosis. Right. What are you supposed to say? Do you give up or you just be like, well, God has not given me more than I can handle. Right. Like it's not a bad, it's, it's not a bad concept because like, at what point do you say, okay, this is enough. Like Elijah, it's enough now, Lord, it's time to die. Um, right. So, hmm. so I bring this up because of this, it's like one of those things. So like, think of a tragedy in your life. Like my brother died, right. Uh, because of yeah. some things. And, and I think, would it comfort me more thinking that God had no idea or no, no sovereignty over it? Like, does, is that comforting that things can happen outside no. of God's control? Uh, is it more comforting to say that God has a plan? And, and like you said, you're going to live through this. I had a roommate whose sister died in a car wreck. And he told me one time, he's like, I don't necessarily know how to, again, like if this happened outside of God's will control, what else is going to happen? And does it have any meaning right. whatsoever? And I don't right. know. That's um, a hard one. But like that, that is a hard one. What I've tried that, to tell people, like, I think the theology of it is nothing is outside of God's control. But you don't say that at the hospital bed. But as a preacher or a Sunday school teacher, we fill our head with these things, a lot of these theological implications before tragedy strikes so that you have a construct by which to move forward mm-hmm. and still never knowing everything. But, but I don't know when somebody says, you know, when somebody says God doesn't send us more than we can handle. I mean, I think it's evidently true because like, how else could we live? Right. So I don't we know. We live in a, yeah. Cause yeah. Cause we live in a broken world. I mean, that's just, that's the nature of the fall is things are not as they should have been. Yeah. But I think it goes back to that, that maturation and that understanding that even in the middle of the tragedies that God is still there with us, whether you think he caused it or not, that God is still there with you. I think that is, that's what I've come to. I think a lot of times when you're going through stuff, it it doesn't do a lot of good to figure out like, is God doing this to me or is this just happening to me? It might be good to say, you know, like, like I've seen, you know, people, you know, I've, I've ministered with, uh, you know, drug, lots of drug addicts. And sometimes a cause of someone turning away isn't just Jesus. It's that their best friend died and overdosed. And they're like, I can't keep doing this. I can't do this anymore. Right. Uh, And they saw it as a, now I don't think I'd say that God, cause their friend to die so that this friend can get better. Um, But I, but I think that's part of the maturation to say this action that I'm doing leads to bad stuff and I can't do this anymore. Like, right. Right. So I don't know. This is a tough one. Yeah. It's all that reliance on God, which is hard for us. It's very hard because, because we like to think that we know everything and we're really smart, (laughs) just like the Pharisees. Yeah. So I'll say this too, as we're ending, when you're in your Sunday school class, um, nobody has an answer to these things. So be completely humble. And then also, you know, if you're in a Sunday school class and not teaching it, you might have very, very strong convictions, but again, be, be humble. Um, 
I don't think somebody's being unfaithful by saying that, you know, God had a reason for a bad thing that happened. It, because you might think that, no, God, you know, that just happened. God had nothing to do with this bad thing. Right. That's going to run the theological spectrum. Like, you know, there's going to be some people that believe strongly in a providence. Um, and there's going to be people who are more on the free will side of things like that things happen and then God pieces things back together for the good of those that love him and are called according to the service or what. Um, so anyway, it's a, it's mm-hmm. a tough Sunday school lesson. It really is. Yeah. There's a lot of deep thinking on this one. What a great way to end this quarter. Yeah. Yeah. So deep thanks, thoughts. Good job. The last Kip. two lessons were a little too tough if you wanted to make it tough. So <laughs> could have done better there, Kip. But aside from that, great job great lessons i'm glad i'm glad we got exposed to it and um thank y'all again for using your encounters and if uh if i can help in any way please call becky (laughs) sure she'll take care of you nah just kidding sure um but thanks share share with your neighbors you know we're right at the chance where we're beginning a new quarter and this is a great opportunity for churches who have not been using the encounter to jump in and use the encounter um, or for small groups within a church to use the encounter. So share this information with others. Yep. And remember, you can get it digitally. You can get it on paper. You can get it through the Amazon Kindle store. Um, I have recorded this next quarter's for audio. Don't necessarily know how to get it to everybody, but I've, I've got a link that will uh, allow people to get the different lessons. So if you have somebody in your, the genesis of this was more so folks who, who were blind actually, you know, or legally blind and they, they have struggles, uh, reading paper. I figured we could at least try our very best to, to make it accessible. So if you have somebody in your church that, that, um, doesn't read much anymore, but they still want to be a part, uh, let me know. And we'll, we'll try to figure out the best way possible of getting you that, um, resource. All right. Anything else for Evan? I'm, I'm good. Good last on good questions. May the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and the peace of Christ be with you. See you next week. Bye.